This is Cashflow Ninja, Episode 3 with Michael Snyder. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Now, here is your host, MC Laubscher. Hey everyone, MC Lobster here. Welcome to another episode of Cashflow Ninja. Thank you for spending some time with me today. The quality of information we process and have access to have a massive impact on the decisions that we make in every area of our life. Most of us get our information from television, print media, and the internet and social media. Over the past decade, the news media has been consolidated to the point that six corporations control over 90%, that's 9-0, of all the media in the United States. The big six media companies in the United States are Comcast, the Walt Disney Company, 21st Century Fox News Corporation, Time Warner, Viacom, and CBS Corporation. People have lost trust in the news and information these media companies and the companies they own share on a daily basis. People know that they're not getting truthful, objective news information from these media organizations. The result has been the accelerating growth of the alternative media on the Internet. It has really exploded alongside citizen journalism, and with available channels on the Internet, you can research information and form your own opinion, as opposed to being fed the daily dose of corporate propaganda. Just think of the popularity of new sites like the Drudge Report and InfoWars. To thrive in the new economy, it's really important to really know what is going on, not just in your community, your province or your state, your country, and or your region that you live in, but also around the entire globe. Identifying the key trends is very important to position yourself. My guest today is a great example of someone seeing and identifying some problematic trends and wanted to be a part of the solution, warning people. He pursued his passion for researching economic and geopolitical information and started to write about his research findings in a blog. He is a master at connecting the dots and presents his research in a very unique way, basing his findings on solid evidence and data. This is not information that you will hear in the mainstream information of the big six media corporations. He is a great example of someone that's pursued his passion, started small, putting out fantastic content and very well-researched quality articles consistently and stuck with it. His website gets over 1 million impressions per month currently. We've had a very interesting start to 2016 with the Dow Jones Industrial Average stock market in the United States, having lost a record number of points within the first three weeks. And global stocks have officially entered bear market territory. More than $15 trillion of global stock market wealth has been wiped out since last June. If you've been reading his articles, you know that the markets are simply catching up with economic reality and know what is ahead in 2016. My guest today is Michael Snyder. He is a graduate of the University of Florida Law School, and he worked as an attorney in the heart of Washington, D.C. for a number of years. Today, Michael is best known for his work as the publisher of the Economic Collapse blog. Michael is also the author of the books The Beginning of the End and Get Prepared Now. Just a reminder that you can find all of our past shows, show notes, recommended resources, and join our community at CashflowNinja.com. We will post today's show notes at CashflowNinja.com forward slash 003 with all of the links to the resources discussed during today's episode. During the first two months of our podcast, we are giving away a $500 Visa gift card. 
All you have to do to get entered into the drawing is go to cashflowninja.com forward slash iTunes and rate and review and subscribe to our podcast. If you feel that our show has provided valuable content and information, please share it with family, friends, and anyone that you feel will enjoy it. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire, and you're listening to the Cashflow Ninja Podcast with your host, MC Lobsher. You must be prepared to ignite. Well, Michael, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be with you. You recently posted an inspiring article on your blog, the Economic Collapse blog, Do Not Despise Small Beginnings, an incredible true story that you may find hard to believe. Can you tell my listeners a little bit about your background and journey and what inspired you to investigate the economy and global trends? Sure, absolutely. And the, and the reason I wrote this article is just to hopefully inspire people that, you know, we live in a day and age when Anyone can make a difference because if you go back 10 years ago, I was working right in the heart of Washington, D.C., right down on K Street, and I was working as a lawyer. And a lot of people might say, wow, that sounds pretty glamorous, but it wasn't. It wasn't glamorous at all. In fact, it's been estimated that one out of every 12 residents of Washington, D.C. is an attorney. So the place is literally crawling with them. And I was all the way at the bottom of the food chain. And so I was as, as anonymous as you could get. Nobody knew who I was. Nobody cared who I was every morning I just got up you know and then my wife took me over to the metro trudged into DC where I was just trying to you know make a living so I could pay the bills and pay down some debt and uh, you know that's where I was but over time I became you know exceedingly distressed about the direction of our country about the corruption I saw all around me, all these things. But I thought, what in the world could I possibly do to ever make a difference? Well, eventually I heard about this thing called blogging. And I thought, well, you know, and I, I learned that there were already more than a million blogs out there. So I thought, how, why in the world would anyone ever want to come and look at my blog, what I have to say about anything? But I started. And at first, you could have measured my readership with a, with a microscope. It was so small, but I stuck with it. And over time, started to build. And then in late 2009, I started the Economic Collapse blog. And it really took off. It really struck a chord because people at the time, millions of Americans had lost their jobs. People were losing their homes. And people knew they weren't getting the truth from the mainstream media. So they're seeking out alternative sources of information. And, uh, and a lot of people started coming my way. And so since that time, the audience has just continued to, to keep building. And to, today, of course, is extremely large. But it just shows right. that anyone can do it. And you don't have to you know, have a website. You don't have to have a blog. You know, not everyone's talent is writing. But we all have a gift. We all have abilities. We all have things that we can share. And thankfully, the Internet has provided a forum where the, or, an ordinary person such as myself can communicate on a mass scale with people literally all over the planet that never really was possible before. So we really live at a unique time. And, and the power of the Internet really gives us some unique opportunities. It's a very exciting time to be alive. And I think like a very big takeaway for my listeners here too, especially living in this, this life that we live in of instant gratification is you started, you followed your passion and you keep putting out really quality articles and producing value for people and eventually it grew organically and 
Yeah, it, it, it's, you know, there's very, very few overnight success stories. Most people that you got to start small, you got to work and then you got to work some more. You know, it took a lot of blood, sweat and tears, a lot of extremely long days, especially at the beginning for my wife and I and, and what we're doing. But eventually, you know, we got there. But the key is and where most people fail is most people, you know, give up if something doesn't work out pretty quickly. So the key is just don't give up to keep going. And of course, you learn from your mistakes and, and you, you look for how that if something's not working, you know, maybe, you know, move in a slightly different direction. But the key for us is that we just did not ever give up. Definitely is very inspiring story. Well, 2016 has been off to an interesting start, to say the least. <laughs> We've seen two emergency market shutdowns in China within the first four trading days of the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average has lost a record number of points within the first three weeks, and global stocks has officially entered a bear market territory. Overall, more than $15 trillion of global stock market wealth has been wiped down just since last June. The global economy is ripping apart at the seams, as you've outlined in your article, 21 numbers that show that the global economy is absolutely imploding. What are some of the most alarming things that you've seen this far in 2016? Yeah, well, I think many of the numbers that you just mentioned, I mean, we go back to the middle of 2015 and I warned my readers, I said, hey, you know, it looks like we're headed into a crisis. And that's exactly what happened. We've seen global stocks plummet all over the planet. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, CNBC and all over the mainstream news, they, they told us global stocks have entered a bear market. And many of your listeners are probably already aware of bear market. Well, that's approximately 20% down. So at that point, we had already lost one fifth of all global stock market wealth. We only had four fifths left. And so then, right. you know, yeah, it's pretty remarkable. And then we learned that we had global stocks had lost a total of $16.5 trillion in terms of global stock market wealth wiped out. That doesn't even count junk bonds or oil or other commodities, anything like that. So that's a tremendous amount of wealth to be wiped out. Now, you know, since that time, we've had a little bit of a bounce back and then yesterday it was down. So, you know, there's ups and downs. But in general, we've seen just a tremendous move downward, which is what we kind of expected once the Federal Reserve quit quantitative easing. They started raising interest rates. They started taking away the artificial support from the financial system. It, you know, it was inevitable that stocks would start to fall because what had happened, the Federal Reserve with quantitative easing, you know, driving interest rates down to irrationally low levels and all this all this had pumped up stock prices that were just crazy to levels they would have never gotten to on their own without the manipulation. And so then you take away the artificial manipulation and what happens? Well, they're starting to fall. They're starting to move in the direction of where they would be otherwise. And so it's definitely not a surprise. But the thing is, is if the Federal Reserve had never manipulated things in the first place, they would have never got this high. So now the crash is going to be far worse than it otherwise would have been because of the Federal Reserve manipulation. Yeah, definitely a lot of money printing and a lot of market manipulating out there. Oh, without a doubt. And there are, you know, things behind the scenes, um, you know, which, uh, you know, I think are playing out right in front of our eyes. But, you know, I'm concerned because what we've seen here in early 2016, we've seen banking stocks particularly get hit really hard over in Europe. We, see, we saw the largest and most important bank in the largest and most important economy in the Eurozone, Germany, 
bank I'm talking about is Deutsche Bank. Right. The, 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 their stock price has absolutely plummeted. In fact, at one point, it fell below anywhere it was during the last financial crisis, even lower. And there's all kinds of rumors and problems at, at Deutsche Bank. They just reported something like a $7 billion loss for 2015. It's a, it's a huge concern. And then, of course, the biggest bank in Switzerland. And then in Italy, all of the big banks are in trouble with the non-performing loans. In other words, bad debt, loans they never should have made. They're just swamped with them. It looks like they're all going to need to be bailed out. And Italy is the eighth largest economy on the entire planet. You know, we remember what happened with Greece, which is the 44th largest economy in the world, and how Europe really struggled to come up with a, a, a way to fix them and help them. And, and actually, their problems are far, far from over. Their, their stocks have been crashing too early this year. But if Greece caused such issues, what about Italy, the eighth largest economy on the planet? Or what about Germany, even bigger, you know, and, and Deutsche Bank? What, what, if Deutsche Bank were to collapse, it would be far, far monumental for the global economy than the collapse of Lehman Brothers in 2008. Yeah, it certainly would be. One of the trends that you've written about and identified for a while now, and I think folks in the United States especially can see it on the ground, is the retail apocalypse, with retail stores shutting down all over the United States. What are some of the factors that you think are contributing to this trend, and how will this affect people overall in the United States? Yeah, well, of course, part of it is people are shifting to buying things online. And so when Amazon succeeds, that does take away from you know brick and mortar retailers. So part of it is the shift from a brick and mortar retail economy to an internet retail economy, and, and that's undeniable. But to me, that doesn't come close to explaining all of what we've seen. You know, Walmart just announced they're closing down 269 stores, including 154 of them in, in the United States. Now, we've never heard of Walmart closing down this many stores before. I mean, this is this is crazy. Kmart is closing down more than two dozen stores over the next several months after so many they've already closed down. J.C. Penney shutting down 47 more stores after closing 40 stores in 2015. Macy's just announced they're closing 36 stores. The Gap is closing 175 stores. Finish Line is closing 150 stores. So we're seeing this happen all over the country. I just saw an article yesterday. Sports Authority, the sports equipment chain, it, it, it looks like they're going to be filing for bankruptcy, the entire chain. Wow. So we're, we're, we're seeing economic activity. The consumer is stressed. You know, you, you just can't keep squeezing blood from a rock. Our paychecks have been stagnating. The cost of living keeps going up. The middle class is declining. In fact, 2015 was the first year ever in the history of the United States when the middle class was a minority. Only 49% of all Americans were middle class in 2015. So when you add up the rich and the poor, they now outnumber the middle class. We've never seen this before. And of course, it's the middle class that fuels consumer spending. So this retail apocalypse is seems to be accelerating. It's a major problem. And uh, I believe what we've seen so far is just the tip of the iceberg. What are some of the other challenges that you think the middle class is facing in some of the reasons why they keep on shrinking and shrinking? Yeah, well, one of the big things is the lack of good jobs. In order to have a thriving middle class, you've got to have middle class jobs. Fortunately, you know, we've seen millions and millions of jobs shipped overseas in recent years as corporations want to shift uh, production uh, from high cost labor centers to low cost labor centers. And so that's been a huge shift. We've also seen technology take a lot of jobs as computers 
computers and robots and other forms of technology advance, they're now starting to do things cheaper and more efficiently than humans can. And so humans are being replaced in, in that way. So those are two factors. And so what's left is a lot of service jobs and those are lower paying. And at this point, according to the Social Security Administration, more than 50% of all American workers make less than $30,000 a year at their places of employment. So that's not good. But another huge factor in this which I think we need to talk about, is the energy industry. Since the last recession, the primary engine for the growth of good jobs in this country has been the energy industry, oil and gas and and all that. But now that's completely reversed. And in fact, it's something like 130,000 good-paying energy jobs have disappeared in the United States since the beginning of 2015. So we're, and those are middle-class jobs. Those are exactly the kind of jobs that we need to have a middle-class. So those jobs are imploding because of the crash in the Price of oil. Unemployment is definitely on the radar. So we keep hearing from the mainstream media sources, though, that unemployment is not that bad and approximately hovering around 5%. But if we take a little closer look at unemployment, I see that the labor participation rate is around 62.6%. It's lowest in 38 years. Can you explain to my listeners why the official unemployment numbers are not accurate? Yeah, they're very, very highly manipulated because, you know, basically every month that what the federal government does is they look and they say, okay, we've got hundreds of thousands of people that have been unemployed for so long, they don't count as any part of the official labor force anymore. So you've got something like 7.9 million Americans that are considered to be officially unemployed. At least that was the number in one of these recent months here. But then you have another 94.2 million Americans that are considered to be not in the labor force. So you add those two numbers together, the number that are officially unemployed with those that are, quote unquote, not in the labor force. And you get a total of 102 million working age Americans that do not have a job right now. So the 4.9% number is really kind of fraudulent. In fact, John Williams of ShadowStats.com, he's figured, he, he keeps these figures, and he's figured that if the government was actually calculating unemployment the way it used to be calculated and was using honor, honest numbers, well, the broadest level of unemployment today would be at sitting at 22.9%. And personally, what I like to do is look at the employment population ratio. If you go online, you can find charts of this on the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve publishes charts of this. Well, the employment population ratio, we saw, you look at the chart of it, it dropped dramatically. In other words, the percentage of the population is actually working, the percentage of the working age population. During the last recession, it plunged dramatically, and then it kind of stayed kind of almost flat for several years, you know, and and didn't decrease, but didn't increase really at all. It stayed very, very level for a long time at this lower level. Then just over the past couple of years, there's been a tiny little bump at the end of the graph, but we're still vastly below where we used to be. And so if you look at the chart, you look at it and people say, well, that's an employment recovery. It's almost laughable because it's just tiny, such a tiny little bump at the end of the graph. The truth is that in terms of the percentage of Americans that are actually working, it's just barely above where it was during the worst moments of the last recession. There really hasn't been an uh, employment recovery to speak of. And now we're rapidly moving into the next great crisis, in my opinion. A lot of jobs that have been created in the last decade are minimum wage jobs that are contributing to the growing poverty in the United States. With the enormous political pressure on politicians to raise the minimum wage, I can even see these jobs disappearing and being replaced by technology and possibly in the future robotics. 
so many working poor in this country. Tens of millions of Americans are the working poor. They're working, but they don't make enough to, to, to get out of poverty. And so right. that is a concern. And we like to see corporations pay them more instead of just hogging all the profits for themselves. You know, I'm, I very much believe in that. But now if the federal government comes in and mandates, hey, OK, we're going to double the minimum wage. OK, well, you know, that's great for some people, but other people are going to lose their jobs. You know, we've seen this wherever the minimum wage has been raised and where these big corporations that, that now dominate our society, they say, OK, we got to pay people more. Is it worth keeping these stores open? Can we get by with fewer workers? Or like you said, can we replace them with technology? Uh, what can we do? So, yeah, whenever the minimum wage is raised, it ends up resulting in people losing their jobs, which is unfortunate. But then we've also got so many of the working poor. There's no, not necessarily any easy solutions to what we're facing. Raising the minimum wage, you know, a lot of people think that sounds like a simple answer, but it's a whole lot more complicated than that. Global trade is another thing that's been on my radar and I've been looking and you've been writing about this, especially about the Baltic Dry Index. Can you explain to my listeners just what that is and what that measures and why that's important? Because I think it fell for the first time below 300 since it started. Yeah, you know, it, it gets pretty complicated, but basically it monitors, it's a measurement of what it costs to ship certain kind of goods to, around the world. And technicalities of it are not that important, but it just basically for just an ordinary person, you know, what does it mean to them? What it means is that global trade is imploding and uh, is slowing down. In fact, we saw just earlier this month, the Baltic Dry Index fell below 300 for the first time ever. I didn't even know it could go that low. So it's absolutely crazy. And Bloomberg just ran a story saying that it's now cheaper to rent a 1,100 foot merchant vessel than it is to rent a Ferrari, which is absolutely insane. Now, of course, when you factor in fuel costs and everything else, then the tanker is more expensive. But just for the rental costs, it's more expensive to rent a Ferrari, which is just insane. So we're seeing global trade. And it's not just those indicators, but you know, we look at the largest economies in the planet, for example, China. In China in January, their exports were down 11.2% year over year, which is crazy because for years, China's been leading the growth in global trade. Their, their trade has been exploding and they account for more global trade than anyone else in the world, even the United States. But now their exports are falling, their imports are falling even more. In January, import, Chinese imports were down 18.8% on a year over year basis. And at this point, Chinese imports have, have fallen for 15 months in a row. That's crazy. You also right. see, you, you look at India. In, in India, their exports were down 13.6% on a year-over-year -year basis in January. In Japan, exports were down 8% in December. Then in January, we just got new numbers. It was more than 12%. Their imports were down on a year-over-year -year basis. And for the sixth time in six years, Japanese GDP has gone negative. In the United States, you know, Barack Obama promised, hey, I'm going to increase exports. There's going to be more jobs. Jobs know our exports are going down. In January, U.S. exports were down 7% on a year-over-year -year basis. So all over the world, we're seeing export numbers fall, export numbers diminish. In other words, the real economy, stuff that's being bought and sold and shipped all over the world, it's decreasing, it's falling. And we never, ever see numbers like this outside of a global recession. You wrote a very good article, 22 signs that the global economic turmoil we have seen so far in 2016 is just the beginning. And you outlined 22 great points that support your argument. How bad do you think 
things are going to get and what impact will this have on the life of an average person? Well, what I, I think that what we've seen so far is just the beginning. A lot of people are looking for something to happen in a single day or a week or a month, like some big event. But this is a process that's playing out. And what we saw in 2008, as the global financial system started to come apart, global economic activity slowed down. All of a sudden, the big banks, they didn't want to lend to each other. They didn't want to lend to anyone else. It was a credit freeze, a credit crunch. And I believe that is what we're starting to see, but I believe it's going to get a whole lot worse. And so what that's, right. and, and of course, everything in our society depends on the flow of debt and credit. You know, if we want to buy a house, if we want to buy a car, if we want to go to school, if, you know, we use our credit cards for everything. So in the, in the months ahead and moving forward, if you work somewhere or you own a business, you may notice that fewer people are coming in. And when people come in, they have less money to spend. And as uh, economic activity starts to slow down because of this credit freeze and credit crunch, especially you know if you hear of too big to fail banks getting into very serious trouble, which we're already seeing very much in Europe, it's just going to accelerate the process. Well, you know, uh, businesses are going to have to close stores, which we're already seeing. We're going to see businesses shut down, businesses lay off workers. In fact, according to Challenger Grain Christmas, job cuts in the United States increased by 218% during the month of January. So we're starting to see those layoffs, starting to see people let go. And so we'll see unemployment start rising significantly once again. And then because 63% of all Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, you know, all of a sudden people aren't going to be able to pay the bills. People aren't going to be able to pay the mortgage. We're going to see foreclosures closures go up. So just like last time when millions of Americans went from living a comfortable middle-class existence to basically being out on the street very, very quickly, you know, I fear that we're moving into a time when we're going to see similar things happen just like last time around. Yeah, they say that 43% of Americans are spending more than what they make right now. Yeah, so many families, they're just barely trying to scrape by month to month. A lot of them, they're spending more than they make, and that means going into even more debt. And so, you know, we've got debt levels at record highs, you know, in terms of consumer debt, corporate debt, and of course, state and local government, and then the federal government is the worst of all now, you know, up around $18 trillion. And so in our society as a whole, you know, you go back about 40 years ago, we were the whole ball of wax, all forms of debt. When you add them all together, 40 years ago, it was about $3 trillion. Today, it's about $60 trillion of where we're sitting at. So yeah, it's the biggest debt bubble uh, our society has ever seen. Our, our system's absolutely saturated with debt. And now here comes a, a major, major downturn. And $1 trillion in student debt. What advice would you give high school students that are considering to attend college and taking on large amount of student debt? Well, the, you really do need to do a cost-benefit analysis. In the old days, when I was growing up, you know, all the counselors, the teachers, my parents, everyone else, they just said, oh, go to the best school you can possibly go into, get into, don't even think about how much it'll cost. When you get out, you'll get a great job. You can pay off, you know, whatever debts you incur very, very easily. And so that's, everyone was just pushed in that direction. But I think today, you know, of course, the cost of a college education has just skyrocketed over the past few decades as a student loan debt. And so a lot of people, they get out of school, they're, they've just got tens of thousands of dollars of student loan debt, but then the good jobs that they were promised aren't materializing. So we've already got just millions upon millions of, of college graduates. They come out and they're already financially hamstrung, financially crippled before they even get into the real world. So you know, I would encourage people to really look hard at their choices if they 
do they need to go to college? And for some fields, you do need to go. If you do, you know, are there cheaper alternatives? Can you start out at a local community college and then transfer to a better school for your last two years? Then you end up with the same degree at the end, but you save some money in the process. I've still got student loan debt to this day, you know, that I'm still paying off after all these years. And so many people are under this weight, this burden. And the truth is that a college education can be vastly overrated, particularly in some fields, non-technical fields, you know, liberal arts, especially in my opinion, where, you know, okay, you get this great degree, but it really doesn't give you much of an edge in the marketplace in terms of actually getting a job. And so I would encourage young people to really do a cost-benefit analysis before they go in so that they kind of know what they're going into. Now, that's good advice, and especially just laying out what potentially could happen afterwards, because folks are going to come out of college, they're going to have these debt, they're going to start working and not make the money that they would previously, and then, of course, you need a car to go to work, so there goes an auto loan into your apartment, so it just perpetuates the whole debt cycle and gets folks further and further into debt. Yeah, and then you spend your entire life paying off debts, which make other people wealthy, and so you can end up paying back you know, twice as much as you originally borrowed three, you know, or credit cards, five or six times as much as you originally borrowed, if not more, depending on the interest rates. If you load yourself up with debt at a very early age, and then you just keep going with, you know, loaded with debt all through your working life, you're re you're really all of your wealth, all of your riches is going to make someone else wealthy, going to make someone else rich. What other trends and indicators are you currently watching and studying and what do you feel will impact the average person the most? One thing that alarmed me was junk bonds. I saw junk bonds crash just before stocks did in 2008, and now it's happening again. And there's a an ETF that I watch. Uh, it goes by the letters JNK. It crashed prior to stocks in, in, in the last crisis, but then it recovered. And, and since the end of the last recession, up until just recently, it traded in a range of about 36 to 42. But then in December, it fell through 35 and it kept going. Then it went through. 34, went through 33, and so today is around 32 and a half. But that, to me, when it broke through 35, that was going to be a confirmation to me that a new financial crisis had begun. And so that's just one of the patterns I've been pointing out to my readers that indicate that, hey, you know, just what we saw in 2008 is happening again. And of course, the junk bonds, one of the big reasons for that is, you know, about 15 to 20 percent somewhere in there of junk bonds are related to the energy industry. And of course, we've seen the price of oil go down close to 75% over the past 18 months. Just, just horrible. And, you know, and, and, and in fact, during 2015, according to CNN, 67 oil and gas companies in the United States filed for bankruptcy. So we're starting to see these, these oil and gas companies go over, go under. And then the financial institutions that are backing these energy companies that lent them a lot of money, they're getting into trouble. They're tremendously exposed. And, and this is especially true over in Europe. So it's causing tremendous ripples through the financial industry. So all of this shaking in the financial world, and, and we're just in the early chapters. I want people to remember what happened and how hard things got back in 2008, because ultimately, I believe what we're heading toward is going to be even worse. One of the reasons that I really admire your work is that you've warned people about what's coming, but you've also provided some solutions and a plan for how people can protect themselves for what's coming. What are you doing to prepare both short and long term for the coming financial crisis that you have been predicting? 
The number one thing I encourage anyone is you need to have an emergency fund, enough money set aside so you can cover at least six months of bills and expenses if things go bad, you know, because you don't want to be in a position like so many were last time when, okay, the crisis comes, you don't have a cushion to fall back on, you can't pay your mortgage, and, and then there you go. So people need to have that emergency fund. Thing is very important in terms of where people are financially. They really, really want to evaluate. Oh, if the markets crash even more, can they afford to take tremendous losses? If not, people need to evaluate where they are financially right now in terms of precious metals. My wife and I like gold and silver, especially for the long term, especially silver. And then also for the longer term, we do believe in uh, storing up food and supplies. We don't think we're going to need them this week or this month, certainly. But in the longer term, we, we we do believe that uh, you know that having emergency supplies on hand is very wise. And anything you can do to become more independent of the system, whether it's growing a garden, starting a side business. So, you know, if you lose a job, well, at least you still got some income coming in. Whatever you can do to become more independent of the system is a good thing. What advice can you give for people with fewer resources to prepare? Well, in the end, we can only do what we can with what we have. So, you know, you don't, if you're storing up food, you don't have to go out and necessarily get the huge, big, expensive buckets. But when you're at the store and you see something on sale, just grab a couple of extra cans of something you would buy anyway and set them aside. And over time, it can and really build up. You know, or you know, if you are of limited resources, really evaluate, okay, the things you are spending money on. Almost everyone has things that they can cut back on, cut out. Now is not the time to buying lots of fancy new toys or, or whatever. Now is the time to get lean and mean. So evaluate, what are you spending money on? What can you cut out? How can you get lean and mean now? you've got limited resources, maybe consider taking on a second job now because jobs, I think, are going to really start to become harder to get moving forward. Or there's businesses you can set up on the internet that cost very, very little money to get going. Something for people to think about as well. So everyone's situation is different, but people just need to try to do the best they can with what they've been given. And learn skills that you think that other people would want and need. And with these new skill sets, you can provide value for them. So during every economic downturn, too, there are plenty of people that seize on opportunities. So they not only survive the downturn, but they prosper and thrive. Are there any potential opportunities that you've identified and could share with my listeners? There are. You know, during, you know, during the last financial crisis, we saw gold and silver increase dramatically. And it started to happen over the past few weeks. We started start to see gold and silver move. There's going to be huge ups and huge downs that people need to be able to handle that, as I always say with precious metals, but that's something to look at. Some people are going to be shorting the market. They're going to be, some people are going to be going into inverse ETFs, things of that nature. Once again, very risky and you got to know what you're doing. But there are going to be people that make a lot of money in this market downturn, just like there was the last time around. So, but it's not something, if you don't know what you're doing, it can be very, very risky. You can lose a lot of money if you're not careful. So, you know, there's opportunities, but I also urge people to have caution. What resources have contributed to the success of your blog and books? A lot of things. I think one thing that I'm, I'm active on social media, very active on right. Facebook. I engage with people on Facebook. And, and so my articles get shared very widely on Facebook, on Twitter. I've got over 14,000 followers. Now, that didn't happen overnight. It's just something very, very slowly over time, adding people every day. And so it's, it's a consistent 
work. You know, when I was first starting my website, what I did is I tried to find good role models, people who were successful, people who knew what they were doing that I could learn from. I visited different websites like ProBlogger, which broke down and taught people about blogging and about what it takes and about some of the great resources are out there and so forth. Now, you know, I use WordPress on my websites. You know, other people use a free blogging platform uh, called Blogspot, you know, or, or if it, you can find it at blogger.com. WordPress also has a free version. I personally have a version, you know, where I, I do my own hosting and all that. And so it, it costs a lot more money, but, but because of the traffic I get. But when I first started out, I actually started on a free platform. So it's, you know, you got to start somewhere and then you can build and move on to other things. And, and that's what I've done. But in terms of my success, I just really try to put out the very best articles that I can every day, you know, trying to do excellent work because that's really how you stand out because there's so much stuff on the Internet. And, you know, it's it's just a a vast morass of, of stuff. So you need to find a way, some way that you can stand out. And the way that I've stood out is try to have uh, the, the, the highest quality articles and information that I can. And and I think over time, people have really responded to that and, and it's really paid off. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. If you were only allowed to pass on five principles to your children and grandchildren to help them build a business around their passion and grow their wealth, what would they be? That's a tough one. Everyone has gifts or abilities. So not everybody could do what I do. But I can't do what people do on YouTube with the amazing things that some people are doing on there or great things with radio shows or whatever it is. So what I encourage people to do is find out what you're good at. So that's one and focus on that. Number two is also find out, you know, what your passion is and pursue that. So I see if I was writing a websites about home decor every day, it wouldn't it wouldn't work as nearly as well. You know, because I, right. I, right. I am not passionate about that. Hopefully what you're good at and what your passion is, hopefully they go together. But those are two things that are very important. Number three, of course, we talked about this earlier. Don't give up. So many people give up so easily in today's world. We're so used to instant gratification. We're used to just 48-hour news cycles. We're used to things happening immediately. But, you know, anything that's good in life is going to take time and it's going to take effort and uh, it's going to take blood, sweat, and tears. So that's what I would encourage people to do. Number four, don't fight people that are on the same side as you. You know, there's so much in this world to be alarmed about. And, and I write about all the problems, all the things. But in terms of people that are on the same side as me, you know, I noticed that a lot of people turn their guns on one another when they should be alarmed about how we're being assaulted in a thousand different ways. But instead, people like to fight with one another, people who are supposed to be on the same side. So I would say don't do that. And then right. number five is, of all, I give the uh, you know the credit for my success and what, what that has happened to me to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I, I believe in God. And, and without him, none of this would have been possible. And so that's something that's very important as well. Thank you for sharing those principles. That's great. What book would you recommend to my listeners besides your books, The Beginning of the End and Get Prepared Now? There is a real good book out there called The Prepper's Blueprint. 
It's written by Tess Pennington. And for uh-huh. people who want to get prepared for the, the real challenging times that are coming, that's one that I would suggest because it kind of lays out like a blueprint what you need to do, food storage, water storage, home security, all these things really soup to nuts, A to Z. It kind of lays it all out there in terms of what people need to be thinking about when things get really crazy in our society, which I believe they're going to. So if people want to check that, I would, I would highly recommend it. How can my audience learn more about you, your books, and your blogs? My primary website, the website I'm primarily known for, is theeconomiccollapseblog.com. If you can just go to Google and type in The Economic Collapse, it's the first result that comes up. There you can find links to my books and, and everything else. I also have a website called endoftheamericandream.com. If you just go to Google and type in End of the American Dream, it's the first result that comes up. And if you want to find all my writing in one central place, along with a lot of the other most important headlines of the day. You can go to themostimportantnews.com or if you just go to Google and type in the most important news, it's the first result that comes up. And then of course, my books, The Beginning of the End, which is my novel, Get Prepared Now. And then I've also got a new book, which is going to be coming out in late March, which uh, I'm not ready to release the title yet, but you're going to be able to find all those on amazon.com. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Michael, and sharing your journey. I think you've provided a wealth of information for my listeners, and thank you for continuously putting out quality articles. I look forward to them every day. Oh, thank you so much for having me on and, and your encouraging words, and, and I enjoyed our, our discussion. And, and so once again, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for joining me and my guest, Michael Snyder, on today's episode. Just a reminder that you can find all of our past shows, show notes, and recommended resources, and join our community at cashflowninja.com. During the first two months of our podcast, we are giving away a $500 Visa gift card. All you have to do to get entered into the drawing is go to cashflowninja.com forward slash iTunes and write, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Please help us spread the word of our show. If you feel that our show has provided valuable content and information, please share it with family, friends, and anyone that you feel will enjoy it. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. You have been listening to the Cash Flow Ninja with your host, MC Laubscher, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Today's show notes and resources are available on our website, CashflowNinja.com. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objective, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.